Well, this morning we're going to begin a brand new series entitled The Value of One. And hopefully everybody coming in this morning got one of these cards. Did everybody get a card? If you did not get a card, if you'll raise your hands, I'm going to get our ushers to bring you one of these that says The Prayer of Three, The Value of One. And maybe my ushers are not paying attention to me this morning. They're out in the hallway looking good. There they are. Awesome. We're going to throw them under the bus. Look at them going. Let's give our ushers a round of applause right here. Thank you, guys. So if you didn't get one of these, if you'll keep your hand up for just a second, they will be right back in. They'll get you one of these cards. And we're going to refer to this at the end of the service today. Uh, and I want to show you how we're going to use this card called the Prayer of Three, the Value of One, to make a difference. So again, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will grab one of those cards and put it in your hand this morning. So we're glad that you're here. Well, this morning, if you got your Bibles, you want to look with me in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. I think we've got one more hand right over here to the left, guys. Raise your hand back up. There we go. Awesome. Luke chapter 15. Uh, we want to spend the next few weeks there. And what's exciting about Luke chapter 15, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. He tells the parable of the lost sheep. He tells the parable of the lost coin. And then he tells the parable of the lost son, which is what we call the prodigal son. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks is that God, through the revelation of his son Jesus, is giving us some amazing insight. Number one, he's given us some insight into the heart of God. And then number two, he's giving us some insight into the condition of the heart's of men. I'll be honest with you, I've been preaching the gospel now for over 30 years, and I've never seen Luke 15 the way I've seen Luke 15 over the last few weeks. God has just kind of brought a revelation to it, and I hope we're going to see some things about not only the heart of God, but the condition of people that's going to help us engage our world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Luke chapter 15, uh, we're going to start in that very first verse. The Bible says this, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. I want to stop there for just a second because I, I just want you to understand what we're about to go into is precedented because of what just happened. And so the Bible says this, that tax collectors and notorious sinners, y'all say it with me, tax collectors and what? Notorious sinners often came to Jesus to hear him teach. Now, that's significant. Let me tell you why I think it's significant. It's significant because people that were lost, broken, and far from God were attracted to Jesus. People that were lost, broken, and far from God. These were tax collectors. By the way, if you were a tax collector in Jewish time, you were considered the lowest of the lowest. You were a traitor to your country. You were a Jew who worked for the Romans. You were collecting taxes. You were exhorting money. And you were, I mean, if you wanted to curse somebody, just say, oh, and you're a tax collector. I mean, that would be the worst insult you could give to a person. I love you, Owen. So that would be the worst insult you could give to a Jewish person. Call him a tax collector. And so all of a sudden, I want you to see something. I want you to see that the people that were despised, the people that were rejected, and the people that the Bible calls notorious sinners, right? They weren't secret sinners. They were notorious sinners. They were living a lifestyle that was 100% contradictory to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Bible says they would often come and listen to Jesus speak. And I think that's powerful. 
because I think that should be an insight to what I believe modern mature Christianity looks like. Mature Christianity is a person that represents Jesus so well that lost, broken, hurting people that are far from God are actually attracted to you. See, I think there's something wrong with our Christianity when lost people don't like being around us. I think there's something wrong with our Christianity when lost people don't like being around us. I'm not talking about lowering the standard. I'm not talking about compromise. When you look at Jesus, he never lowered the standard and he never compromised. But there was something about Jesus that attracted lost, broken, hurting people that were far away from God. There was something appealing to his nature, to his character, to the heart of who he was. And I believe that's an encouragement to me and you today because I believe that's what we ought to look like as Christians. We ought to look like the kind of people that attract lost, broken, hurting people. People that are far from God should be attracted to God because of the life that you're living. There ought to be something in you that makes them want to inquire about God because of the way you're living your life. Now, the very next verse says that the scribes and Pharisees complained about Jesus because he was eating with sinners. Let me just give you one other word of warning. We have to guard ourselves against a religious spirit. Against a religious spirit that wants to become critical and condemning toward a world that desperately needs God. If we're not careful, it's really easy, and we're going to talk about this today. It's really easy for us to look at the world sometimes and kind of wash our hands of them. It's really easy for us to look at people, the very people Jesus died for, the very people Jesus came for, the very people that God had in mind when he sent his son. It's very easy to look at a lost, broken, hurting world and say, you know what, man, I just don't have time for them. They're just disrespectful and they just don't love God and they're just doing their own thing. And the realization is all that stuff is 100% absolutely true. They are. They are doing their own thing. They don't love God, and they're living life their way. But they are the people. We are the people. Come on, somebody. That Jesus died for. And the realization is that every one of us at one time or another in our life was that person. Let's just be honest in this room here today. I always say it. Church is a good place to be honest. None of us came to Christ. There's not one Christian in the room today that came to Christ based on your merits. You're not a Christian because you were good enough to be a Christian. You're not a Christian because you were smart enough to be a Christian. You're not a Christian because you were a standout kind of person and somehow God chose you because you were better than the rest. No, we were all sinners. We were all lost. We were all broken. We were all separated from God. We were all doing our own thing living our own life, walking our own path, and God in his mercy and God in his grace and God in his goodness sought us out. Somebody, think about this, somebody shepherded your soul and came after you. And we're all here today because God loves people. Amen? So look at the rest of this scripture. So sinners are attracted to him, the Pharisees, criticize him and verse 3 says so Jesus told them this story so Luke 15 is totally based off this encounter that Jesus just had with notorious sinners and religious people and Jesus is driving home a point for us to see verse 4 Jesus said if a man had a hundred sheep 
and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends, his neighbors, and say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. And in the same way, verse 7, in the same way, there will be joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God more than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Look at that first point. In this parable, Jesus describes lost people as lost sheep. He says in the same way. He tells us a natural story, giving us a spiritual illustration. And in this parable, Jesus describes lost people as lost sheep. And in each parable, as we're going to read over the next few weeks, we're going to see something. We're going to see that God reinforces, Jesus reinforces the idea that one soul, one life, literally every person matters to God. And if they matter to God, they should matter to us. The person you love matters to God. The person you don't love matters to God. The person you enjoy being around matters to God. The person you don't enjoy being around matters to God. The person that brightens your day and the person that darkens your day, both of those people matter to God. And if every soul, if every life, if every sheep matters to God, then they should matter to us. Amen? They should matter to us. Every soul has value in the heart of God. I love Luke 19.10. It's not on the screen, but if you're a note taker, you can write it down. Luke 19.10. The Bible says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are what? There you go. Y'all been reading your Bibles? The Son of Man came to seek and to save not those who are found, but those who are lost. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. So let's talk about lost sheep for just a minute. I want you to recognize, look at that next point. Lost sheep aren't evil sheep. And they aren't even rebellious sheep. Now, there are evil sheep and there are rebellious sheep. <laughs> we all know that, right? We know that we live in a world where there is really evil people. And we live in a world where there are very rebellious people. And we're going to talk a little bit about evil people and rebellious people as we work through this series together. But I want you to recognize something about sheep. Lost sheep in this parable are not evil sheep. They're not rebellious sheep. They're just lost sheep. They have wandered off the path and have got turned around. Let me tell you what I believe and know about our world, and I think you'll agree with me today. Yes, there are evil people, and yes, there are rebellious people, but there are just a lot of lost people. I mean, they're just lost. They've just wandered off the path. They've got turned around. They don't know where they are, and they don't know where they're going. <laughs> they're just lost. And they're not horrible people. They're not wicked people. They're not evil people. As a matter of fact, the longer I live in this world, this is kind of crazy, I've recognized there are a lot of good people. <laughs> You let tragedy strike, you let national, natural disaster happen, and people will rise up in so many different ways just to help and care and serve one another. The world is filled with a lot of really good people. In the South, we call them good old boys, right? 
I mean, there's a whole lot of good old boys. I mean, if you're broke down on the side of the road, that good old boy, he's going to stop and help you change your tire. He might cuss a little bit, but he'll help you change your tire. We had, a, we had an old lawnmower. Kelly used to mow our yard. We had this old lawnmower that needed to be fixed and fixed, and I didn't fix it. And, and she had been mowing with it in the backyard of our house in, in, in Arab. We were living in town at that time. And she was mowing the yard, and the thing quit and was acting up, doing crazy. And so she went in the house. While she was in the house and the mower was off, it caught on fire. <laughs> Tells you the high quality of the lawnmower we were using. It caught on fire. I was in Albertville at the hospital, visiting somebody. She tries to call me. I mean, I'm 45 minutes away. There's nothing I can do. Our neighbor, who is not a born-again believer following Jesus at that time, he was a lost sheep. But, buddy, praise God, when it started burning down his fence between our house and his, he started putting out the fire. <laughs> it was so funny because Kelly was so thankful he was putting out the fire, but she was so scared he was cussing every breath as he was putting out that fire. And we laugh about that story now, don't we, babe? I laugh about that story. She still doesn't laugh about that story. But you know what? He's a good old boy. But we all know this, right? If you've been around Liberty Church long enough, we know good old boys don't go to heaven. Born again people go to heaven. But I've recognized, and I hope you've recognized, you know what? There are a lot of good old boys in the world. There are a lot of people. They're not evil. They're not wicked. They're not really even out to get you. They are just lost. And Jesus said, when a shepherd loses one sheep, you know what he does? He searches for it. Until he finds it. Think about it. What do you do when you lose your keys? You search for them until you find them. All my young people appreciate this. What do you do when you lose your phone? Number one, you go crazy. Number two, you search for it until you find it. Right? When something of value gets lost, you know what you do? You don't just say, oh, heck, I'll buy another one. No, you're not going to buy another one. You're going to find it. You're going to search for it. You're going to turn the house upside down until you find what was lost. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God for every person on planet earth. That's the heart of God for every person you know and have ever met. That is the heart of God. That every lost person that is wandering and strayed away from God would be found. That's his heart and it should be our heart too amen in Matthew chapter 9 I want you to look there with me Matthew chapter 9 Jesus talks about lost sheep and as I was thinking about lost sheep I, I thought about the fact that if you've ever been lost anybody in here and don't raise your hand right now because I'm gonna qualify this statement if you've ever been lost, and I'm not talking about you drove past your exit on the interstate and your GPS had to reroute you and it took you an extra 15 minutes. I'm talking about have you ever been in the woods or in an environment where you were lost and there was a fear of death? <laughs> I remember I was about 10 years old. I grew up, my dad, we call him Papa Larry's right up here on the front. We, we went hunting and uh, we were in a place we'd never been before and we got lost. Or I thought we was lost. We started walking, and we started walking, and we started walking, and, and we walked so far. I remember I was 10 years old. I couldn't even tote my gun anymore. He was toting my gun, and he was probably thinking, am I going to have to tote my son out of here too? 
And the sun was starting to set just a little bit. We had maybe another hour or so. And I remember asking my dad, I said, Daddy, are we lost? He said, we're not lost till it gets dark. <laughs> and then we're lost. <laughs> How many know there are a lot of people right now wondering our world, and this done got dark on them? And they're lost. And I remember being 10 years old, and I remember being afraid of being lost in the woods. I remember Samantha was about two years old, and we were in Walmart, and Kelly was super protective with our kids. She was like the overprotective mom. I mean, she might have been the poster child for a helicopter parent. I mean, she was there. You don't think so, baby? You weren't that protective. I apologize. She was well-balanced, she said, just so y'all know. She was well-balanced. Well-balanced. When we went to Walmart, our kids always had to ride in the buggy. When they were little, they had to ride in the buggy. And, and we were in Huntsville, Walmart, and it was around Christmas, I think. And, and we were there with some family, and our family's kids were running around, and our kids begged us, begged us, begged us. And so we said, okay, you can just stay right here by the buggy. And Samantha was two or three years old, old enough to walk around, run around, just stay right here. Well, we're doing our little stuff, and, and we looking, and we turn back, and Samantha is gone. And I don't know if you've ever lost a kid in Walmart. It is one of the most horrifying feelings I've ever had in my life. We frantically search around for a couple minutes. Samantha, Samantha, we're calling her name. I finally go to the manager. We call Code Adam. We shut down Walmart. And then we find her playing hide and seek in the clothes. I never wanted to kill her and hug her at the same time so much. We were scared to death because our child was lost. And as I was praying this week, the Lord just simply said, Keith, he said, we live in a world and there are so many lost people. And he said, you know what, Keith? He said, they're scared. They don't know where they are. They don't really know where they're going. And fear has really gripped their hearts. And they're just wandering through life with so many voices and so much information and so many people saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. And they are afraid. And I just thought, if my heart ached for lost people the way my heart ached when we lost Samantha in Walmart, I'd be calling a code Adam on Arab. I'd be shutting everything down to do anything and everything I could do to find my lost child. And you would too. What would happen if we love people with that kind of love? What would happen if we love people with that kind of love? Let me tell you what would happen. There wouldn't be enough chairs or enough seats in this church or any church to hold the people that we would reach for Jesus Christ. If we just love people that way. If you look at that next point, or excuse me, Matthew 9, I want to share this with you. Jesus gives us another picture of lost sheep, Matthew 9, 35 through 39. Or excuse me, 38. Jesus, the Bible says, traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area 
teaching in the synagogue and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Now look at verse 36. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw the multitudes and they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And look at verse 37. And then he said to his disciples, that's me and you, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So look at that next point. Our world is filled with people who are confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Our world is filled with people who are confused and helpless. And, and let me just remind you of the reality of the confusion that we're living in today. There is confusion in our world today around sexuality. There is confusion in our world today around identity. There is confusion in our world today even around gender. We live in a world of lost sheep and they are confused. They're confused. Now let me dial back to something I said at the very beginning because here's the challenge I want to give us today. It is really easy. It is really easy to look at a generation that is confused about their sexuality, confused about their identity, and even confused about their gender. It's really easy to look at them and say it's common sense what is wrong with those people. I don't have time to deal with them. And you know what? It is common sense to me and you. But it's not common sense to them. I talk to young people. And by young people, I'm 50 now, so everybody's getting younger. I mean, it's like amazing. I'm like, <laughs> wow. You're 35, boy, you're young. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. But I talk to people and, and I listen. And you know what I, I've realized? They are genuinely confused. What was common sense for my generation is not common sense for their generation. What I automatically assumed as normal, they no longer assume as normal. And it is so easy for us, it is so easy for us to be a step ahead of them, a generation ahead of them, and look at them with condemnation and say they're just stupid and they're just ignorant and they're just unlearned and they're just rebellious and they're just an evil generation. And, and I mean, God just, I can't deal with them. But I'm glad God dealt with me and I'm glad God dealt with you, aren't you? Because they're confused and they're helpless. We have now an entire generation that's been raised on social media and YouTube. And there are thousands of voices. And every voice declaring they're the right voice. And then there's celebrityism and there's fame and there's fortune promoting and advertising and celebrating. This is the way. And they're confused. And if we're not careful, we'll be scribes and Pharisees. If we're not careful, we'll become religious people who look down long noses of judgment and accusation. 
and wash our hands of the very people that Jesus died to save. We got to check our hearts, guys. We got to check our hearts. We got to look at people not through the lens of our own understanding, but through the compassion of Jesus Christ. Jesus saw the multitudes confused and helpless, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion. Not disgust, not anger, not frustration, not bitterness, not I'm done with you, but a heart of compassion. He never lowered the standard. He never compromised the truth. He never condoned their sin. But he loved them where they were, and he spoke truth into their life, and there was something authentic about Jesus that even tax collectors and notorious sinners would come to church just to hear him speak. Because there was something real about that man. Something that drawed them and compelled them to not just come to Christ, but ultimately to come to the Father. And that's Christianity, guys. That's what God is calling me and you to live. That's what it means to be an ambassador, a representative of Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean we don't speak against sin. It doesn't mean we don't speak against the, the deception and the immorality and the ungodliness of our world. We should speak against it because if we don't speak against it, there is no voice. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and it's the truth that sets people free. But we've got to be led by a heart of compassion. So look at the last part of that statement. So our world's filled with people who are confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus has compassion for lost sheep. And then look at this. And then he commands us to pray. He sees the multitudes. He sees the crowds. He sees the confused, helpless sheep without a shepherd. And he looks at his disciples. That's me and you. And he says, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. And then he tricks us. <laughs> you would automatically think he would say, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, so get to work. He doesn't say get to work. He doesn't say run to the field. You know what he says? Pray. Pray, pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Into the field. That doesn't mean we don't labor, but it means that our first labor is that until we labor in prayer, nothing changes. See, there's something powerful about prayer. Let, let me tell you a little secret about prayer you may or may not know. Prayer, we know this, changes other people, but prayer changes us. Amen. You actually become what you pray. Let, let me give you an example. If you pray for souls to be saved, you know what will happen? You'll become a soul winner. Just try it. I mean, earnestly, heartfelt, just like your baby's lost in Walmart, start praying to God for souls to be saved. And you know what will happen? It won't be long, and you'll be telling everybody you meet about Jesus. You pray for souls to be saved, you'll become a soul winner. 
You pray for disciples to be made, you'll become a disciple maker. And you pray for laborers to go into the field to reap this amazing harvest. And before you know it, you'll find yourself in the field (laughs) reaping the harvest. See, our prayers really become personal prophecies that transform our heart. And the Holy Spirit, just this morning as I was praying before church, the Lord said this to me. He said, Keith, think about it. If you don't care enough to pray for souls, then you won't care enough to do something to reach souls. If you don't care enough to pray, which is something you can do 24-7, 365 days a year from the comfort of your house, the comfort of your car, from the back row in the school classroom. You can pray anywhere, everywhere. And if you don't care enough to pray, then you probably don't care enough to do anything to make a difference. So look at that next point. I want you to see this about prayer. So we pursue the lost through prayer. We pursue the lost through prayer. Prayer is our weapon of warfare that brings people out of the darkness of sin and confusion and helplessness into God's glorious light. We pursue the lost through prayer. The harvest is plentiful, therefore pray. Pray, 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 pray to the Lord of the harvest. How do we pursue lost people? We pursue them first with prayer. Yes, we invite people to church. Yes, we share the gospel with people. Yes, we preach the gospel to people. But we must labor in prayer to see the fullness of our labor in life. I believe the power of our preaching is going to be determined by the power of our praying. The power of our evangelism is going to be determined by the power of our praying. The power of our reach is going to be determined by the power of our prayer. We pray to the Lord of the harvest. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul says, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Think about that statement. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, if what the good news of the gospel is hidden, he says it's hidden from the very people that are perishing. It's hidden from the people that are dying and going to hell. If the good news that we have in Christ is hidden, it's hidden from the people that need it the most. And then he goes on and explains a little bit why they're not seeing the gospel. Look what he says, verse 4. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are confused and they are helpless. You know why? They're blind. And when the blind lead the blind, everybody falls in the ditch. And we got a world that's in the ditches of life right now. And we need the church. Come on, somebody. That's me and you. We need the church to become passionate about prayer. We need the church to become committed to prayer. We need the church to say, you know what? We're going to labor in prayer more than we labor in anything else. And as we labor in prayer, we're going to see the labor of our efforts multiply. 
as God's going to do more than we ever asked, imagined, or thought possible. Praying for the lost. I want to just challenge our thinking for just a minute. Praying for the lost is not about convincing God to save people. How many know it's the will of God for them to be saved? John 3, 16, we all know it, right? For God so loved the world, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all men should come to repentance. It's the will of God. So when we're praying for lost people, we're not praying, petitioning God to save them. God's will is already to save them. He's already sent Jesus to save them. He's already paid the price for them to be saved. So what do we do when we pray for lost people? We war. What are we doing in prayer? We are casting down the strongholds and the imaginations that have risen up in their heart and their mind that keeps them from the knowledge of God. We're breaking through that veil that has blinded the minds of those who do not, do not believe so they can see the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus. Prayer is warfare. It's not just begging God to save them. It's warring on their behalf. Think about that. Asking God to save somebody is like asking God to let the sun shine today. He's already done it. He wants to save them. It's his will to save them. He sent his son to save them. Jesus died to save them. He rose to save them. The problem is they are blind. They are confused. They are helpless. They are living under the sway and control of the evil one. And they cannot, the Bible says, because the veil is on their eyes, they cannot see the glorious lie of the gospel. There's a veil on their heart. They don't understand the good news of Jesus Christ. But you know what prayer does? Prayer breaks through. Prayer breaks through the blinders. When we pray, the Bible says this. Jesus said, I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound where? And whatever you loose on earth will be loose where? Now think about that for just a second. He did not say whatever is bound in heaven will be bound on earth. He did not say whatever is loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. He said whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. It is your prayers and your petitions that change the spiritual atmosphere around the heart and life of the people that we love and care about. It's not heaven changing earth. It's earth changing the heavenlies, which is the spiritual realm where the enemy works to blind the minds of those who do not believe. And we labor in prayer. We labor in prayer. We labor in prayer. Why? Because we're warring. When I was a kid growing up, I used to do Taekwondo and I fought in a couple tournaments and, and I remember those rounds were like three minutes long and it was the longest three minutes of my life. I'll never forget how exhausted I was at the end of one of those rounds just doing all I could do to fight and win that challenge. When's the last time you exhausted yourself in prayer? When's the last time you exhausted yourself in prayer? When's the last time you labored? I mean, felt the labor of prayer. 
It's easy. I mean, it's, it's so easy, guys, for us to miss what God is calling us to do. And the power of prayer of what it does in the lives of people. Look at that last point. Sheep are defenseless animals. When you, when you look in the natural, they are defenseless animals. They have no defense against their enemies. A sheep's only protection is the care of the shepherd. They are defenseless animals. Jesus said they are easily confused. They are helpless against the enemy. So when we labor in prayer, prayer removes the blinders. Prayer brings revelation, conviction, and intervention, the intervention of God into the lives of the people that we're praying for. I love Acts chapter 9. It's not on the screen, but if you want to write it down, Acts 9, verse 17 and 18. It's the story of Saul who was persecuting the church. Saul's persecuting the church. He's going to Damascus. A bright light shines from heaven, blinds him, knocks him to the ground. He has this encounter with Jesus. He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. He ends up going on in Damascus, and there a man by the name of Ananias comes, and the Bible says he lays his hand on him. You know what he was doing? He was praying for him. Listen to what the Bible says. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. He got up and was baptized and the scales fell from his eyes that's what prayer does prayer removes the scales from people's eyes I was thinking about when I got saved I was 15 years old I've shared this many times I was 15 years old in a little Southern Baptist Church on a Sunday night and I remember the preacher was preaching brother Cordy Gardner was preaching that that Sunday night and here's what I never thought about I was standing there, I was sitting there listening to that sermon. And there was a moment where I was content in my lostness. I was content. Truth is, I was at church on a Sunday night at 15 years old because my mom and dad made me to go to church on Sunday night when I was 15 years old. I wasn't there of willful choice. Parents, you ought to get a clue. Your pastor got born again because his mom and dad made him go to church. Liberty Church exists because his mom and dad made him go to church. Fifteen years old, I'd have rather been anywhere but at church. But Sunday night, I'm at church, a 15-year-old teenage boy. I was content in my lostness. And in a moment, in a moment, I went from being content in my lostness to being convicted of my sin. Just like that. One second, I was fine. The next second, I wasn't fine. One second, I was content on the path I was on. The next second, I came to a realization that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon me and the scales were removed from my eyes. And I couldn't wait for him to stop preaching so I could go to an altar and get saved. And that happened in a moment in my life. But it was a moment in my life, but it was probably years in the lives of my parents as they prayed for the salvation of their son. And I'm here today because somebody labored in prayer. And I want you to know what your prayers can do. Your prayers in a moment. 
can break the shackles. Well, when's it going to be, Pastor Keith? I don't have a clue, but I know it'll never happen if you don't pray. I know it'll never happen if you don't pray. I know if we just need complacent, if we just wish that God's going to save the people that we love and care about, nothing's ever going to change. But if we labor in prayer, if we press in in prayer, if we push in in prayer, if we declare, if we war in prayer, guess what will happen? One day, breakthrough will come. One day, the scales will be removed. One day, the stronghold will be broken. And one day, they'll meet Jesus like I did at 15 years old. And in a moment, a twinkle of an eye, my heart was forever changed. We gave you this little prayer of three, value of one card when you came in. On the back of it, there's a place for you to write down the names of three people. To write down the names of three people, and I want to just qualify, three people that you know that are lost, that are wondering. Three people you know that are confused. Three people you know that are helpless. Three people you know that are blinded. They're probably not wicked, evil people, but they are lost people. And lost people need to be found. And Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. 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 Begin to war for them. Begin to fight for them. Begin to go to battle for them. Begin to labor in prayer for them. What if I told you the most important thing you could do was pray? What if I told you that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven? Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven? And that you can create a spiritual atmosphere around their life. <laughs> they can run from you, but they can't outrun your prayers. We're going to talk, last week we're going to talk about the prodigal son, and the prodigal son's in the pig pen. And all of a sudden the scales fell from his eyes. He ran from his daddy, but he couldn't outrun his daddy's prayers. Man, that's good news for all you parents in here today. That's good news for every one of us in here today. So I want us to do this. Let's just bow our heads together. I want our prayer teams to come. We're going to get ready to go into our last song of worship. We're going to open the altar up in just a minute. And if you need prayer this morning for any reason, we want to pray with you. We count it our joy and our honor to partner with you in prayer. We believe prayer changes things. And maybe you just want somebody to agree with you today for a loved one. Maybe you've got a family, a friend, a co-worker that doesn't know God. They're lost. They're far from the Lord. And today, you just want to stand in the gap for them. You want to begin today right now in prayer just agreeing for them. Maybe there's a physical need in your body. Maybe you need healing today. God's a healer. Maybe you need breakthrough today in your own life. God's a God of breakthrough. But before we open the altar, I want to do this. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a minute. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you realize you're lost. You realize you're lost. You're not walking with God. You're not connected to God. You don't really know Jesus. You've been wandering. And you know you've been wandering. And there's a hole in your heart that affirms right now, you've been wondering. And today you say, Pastor Keith, I, I want to be found. I want to know Jesus, the one who is the shepherd of my soul. I want to be saved. I want to find my way back to the place I was created for, and that's intimate relationship with God. Here's what the Bible says is required for me and you to be saved. We have to believe in our heart that Jesus died and rose again from the grave. We have to be willing to confess that he is Lord 
And we have to be willing just to turn from our sins and turn to Him today. That's what the Bible calls repentance. And if you're willing to do that today, right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're willing today, say, Pastor Keith, I want to be saved. I want to be found this morning. I want you just to raise your hand all over this building. Just a simple act of faith that we're going to pray together. If you're watching online, we're going to pray with you also. You can click that hand emoji. You can type in that box, and we're going to pray with you today. So let's just pray this prayer together. All of us out loud, let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's stand to our feet. Amen. If you pray that prayer, welcome to the family this morning. We love you. We're honored to have you, and we're going to help you take that next step. We're going to go under our final song of worship right here. If you need prayer for any reason, our prayer teams are here. We'd love to pray with you as we worship the Lord this morning. Bless the light of my soul, oh, my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like ever before, oh, my soul, I will worship Worship His soul. 